0: This week on Inside the Ropes, we tap into the rising talent who on Sunday picked up his PGA Tour card in America, Lucas Herbert. It's Paralympics time in Tokyo, and we talk to Christian Hamilton about what golf's doing to get its place in the party one day. And we work our way through Cameron Smith's remarkable performance in New Jersey and Minji Lee's dramatic run at Canoosti. It's that time of the week. Let's go.
1: You're listening to Inside the
2: Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and
3: abroad. Subscribe now through your favourite podcast
0: app. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Episode 221 of Inside the Ropes from Australian Golf Media. I'm Martin Blake, Media Manager of Golf Australia. This podcast is a collaboration of Golf Australia, the PGA and the WPGA. I'm really looking forward today to talk to an old friend in Lucas Herbert, a real character who I've always said would become immensely popular if he can just get himself to the peak of the game. And guess what? Our timing's perfect because just about to come true for Herbie after he secured his PGA Tour card for next year in Idaho last weekend. To help me through all this today, plus to dissect and digest all the other golfing news from around the world, He's back for another crack. Golf Digest reporter at large and the PGA Tour of Australasia's content guru, Tony Weeback.
2: Welcome. G'day, Blakey. Thanks for having me back. Another another big week for us.
0: It, it was absolutely huge because the US Tour playoffs began uh, the, at the Northern Trust in New Jersey. That event was spread out to... Uh, the Monday morning American time. We had Rod Pampling winning a, a Champions Tour event for the first time. We had the AIG Women's Open, okay, the Women's British Open uh, at Canoosti, which was a sensational event. Let's just talk a little bit about uh, Cameron Smith first of all. Uh, Runner-up uh, in the first playoff event, the Northern Trust in New Jersey lost a playoff, and you watched a bit of this this morning. I mean, it, it appears to me that Cameron Smith's one of the one of the very best players in the world as we speak, he's really jumping up. He's getting better all the time. His short game's incredible. He shot 60 in the second round, which, oh, the third round, which was an incredible performance and had a great chance to, to shoot 59, didn't he? So he's playing really great, just had a disappointing
2: finish with a bogey on the playoff hole and lost to Tony Finau. Yeah, he started the last round, which, as you said, went into Monday because of the, the hurricane that went through and dumped nine inches of rain on the golf course so that, that pushed things back again, but yeah, he got in front with an early birdie and, but to be honest, it looked like John Rahm was going to just run away with it. And then he had a couple of stumbles and Cam birdied 16 and 17, made a nice up and down at 16, a short par four, and then he had a beautiful line shot into 17 and had a putt for about 24 feet to win it on the last hole and uh, just left it a bit short. But yeah, unfortunately in the playoff, it was a bit reminiscent of the, uh, the tee shot that Louis Eastoeson hit when when Cam and Mark Leishman won the Zurich Classic, he just, it was just a big carve out to the right and into the middle of the lake. And Tony Finau found the fairway, hit the green, and and two putted. So, um, yeah, it was uh, it was an unfortunate way to to end the tournament for Cam, but he's now can console himself with a million dollars in prize money and twenty um, third in the world in the world rankings right now. So it's uh, yeah, he's just playing so well, and and something big's on the horizon very soon.
0: I think uh, 23 is quite low for the way he's playing. I think uh, he's realistically a kind of close to a top 10 player now already. Uh, he's actually number three on the FedEx Cup points list. So uh, in those three events coming to Atlanta in a few weeks' time, I mean, the top 30 will play for the Tour Championship and the uh, you know the the big prize pool that's on on offer. Um, no one's no Australians ever won that. Uh, Adam Scott won the Tour Championship. Uh, quite a long time ago, maybe 15 years ago, but it was before the uh, FedEx Cup sort of setup that was done. So uh, Cameron Smith put himself in a, with a great chance of uh, of doing that. Let's have a listen to Cameron Smith, who reflected on uh, the drive on the first playoff hole that cost him a chance today. Here he is.
2: What exactly happened in your mind there?
1: Oh, it was just a terrible swing, just a miss hit. Um, you know, in and off the left. And, uh, yeah, the wind just got it. Um, you know that's that's how it is. I mean, I've hit a few terrible drives this week, and I've got away with a few. And um, you know, I didn't get away with that one. So it is what it is, mate.
0: So the BMW Championship this week uh, for the all the tour players in America, Tony, and uh, I think four Australians have got through there. Smithy yeah, got- and Mark Leishman was already through, and Matty Jones, I think, is through. And, and Cam Davis as well. Cam Davis. Cam Davis. That'd be the. Maybe the first time Cam's got through to the second round, I think. Um, yeah. If you know,
2: he, I'm not sure he would have qualified even for the playoffs last year, um, but definitely mm-hmm. first time through to the second round. And uh, Matt Jones is 42nd. He's the lowest ranked of the four. Is he still in the mix? So uh, Mark and Leishman and Cam Davis both need to probably play well this week to move in the top 30 to qualify for the World uh, Tour Championship.
0: I wanted to ask you what you made of the AIG Women's Open at Canusti. I just thought the course was a superstar in this. It set up fantastic for the women. They did a great job with that. It was a very tough closing stretch. And, look, I watched a lot of the final round, Tony, and, you know, Steph Kiriakou from Sydney jumped up. Uh, When I actually turned the coverage on, uh, there were two Australians in the lead because Minji Lee had made a great start coming from about five shots back, and Steph had made a bunch of birdies and an eagle on the front nine, so we had two Australians in the lead. Steph Kiri- uh, Kiriakou dropped off on the back nine, unfortunately, and then double Bogey, the last hole, uh, hit it out of bounds, which is very easy to do on the 18th at Canusti. The fence is only about 15 or 20 metres over on the left. She just turned one over. It ran through the fence out of bounds, so she ended up finishing... Um, I think it was tied 15th, but uh, Minji Lee was the one who really had a great chance. Minji played a a fantastic final round, 66, didn't she?
2: Absolutely, and she had a – whereas Steph had a bit of misfortune on the 18th hole, um, Minji got very lucky. She hit a good tee shot down the right-hand side, just stayed out of the bunkers, and then just seemed to catch her approach shot a bit fat and actually bounced once before the burn, bounced into the burn, and then out again. Um, onto the other side. So she had left herself a pitch of maybe 30 or 40 metres to try and get up and down to save par, which unfortunately she didn't do. But I couldn't help feel a little bit for Jean Vanderveld watching Minji's ball (laughs) bounce out of the Barry Burn. Obviously the tide wasn't up at that point and um, she got a bit of good luck there. But another great result, you know, the fact that she was contending for a second straight major and again in very similar fashion to which she won the Evian coming from seven shots back in that. She started the last round of the women's open five shots off the lead, so uh, maybe she just likes giving the field a bit of a, a bit of a head start and then charging home and see if she can post a number.
0: There might be something in that because she played very aggressively, and she said that afterwards that she just knew she had to make birdies. And look, she posted ten under overall. Look, through sixteen holes, she was outright leader in the tournament. You know, it looks like well, I think people got up on Monday morning and looked at the scores. She's finished tied fifth, but it might look like she was well back but she was actually in front through 16 but the bogey at 18 uh, from the burn that you mentioned that really cost her and then Anna Norqvist from uh, Sweden ended up winning at 12 under so she, so Minji was two shots back from that and Anna Norqvist played you know brilliantly solid golf and parred in from 15 which you know what's the old saying about paring in the last four holes you know you win a lot of if you get yourself in contention and par in from, you know, 15 on, that's exactly what she did. Georgia Hall was at 11 under. Uh, Madeleine Sagstrom uh, from Sweden actually had a putt to, which would have got her into a playoff on the last hole. She played some brilliant golf as well. Lizette Salas was there. And as I mentioned, Steph Kiriakou was the next best Australian at tied 13. But I just thought it was a fabulous event. It's now the richest event in women's golf uh it was a great field of
2: course of course they play at the best courses it's just got a lot going for it yeah it's um it's well entrenched now as it was 20th year of it being a major for the women's game and it's uh it's very much entrenched now as one of the, the must wins on your career resume i think rod pampling's win may have gone under
0: the radar i think it's 18 years is that right since any australians won on the champions tour but uh Rod Pampling won the Boeing Classic in what well, was over near Seattle in Washington over the weekend. He picked up three hundred and fifteen grand US for for that win, uh, but really establishing himself. I think it's his second year out on the on the Champions Tour. But uh, the 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 quality of the fields and the quality of the golf is is fantastic, and he shot sixty six in the last round to get up and win, which is which is great news for Pamps.
2: Yeah, and again, he did it much the same manner. On the Evian. I think he was maybe 11th or 12th going into the last round and played a brilliant final round that could have even been better. He, he missed a couple of chances uh, coming in and perhaps when he posted the number, we thought it might've been one or sh- two shots short, but neither Jim Furick or Woody Austin was able to birdie the last. And um, as Rod stood on the range, trying to keep warm for a playoff, uh, word got through that Jim Furick had missed his birdie putt on the left edge and he was the champions, yeah. And like you say, Roger Davis, Peter Senior, people must probably be thinking, how come Peter Senior didn't win a Champions Tour event? He was, he was runner-up five times, and yep. three times in one year. So he got close, but yeah, 18 years since we've had a Champions Tour winner and yeah, great to see Rod Pamplin get over the line. And Pamps uh, is one of those guys, he's
0: 51 now. I mean, he, he doesn't seem to play much. You know, he plays similar standard golf that he always plays as far as I can see. I mean, he's going to make a lot of cash out there in the next year or two.
2: And the key to Rod was uh, winning in Vegas, um, I think in 2016. That gave him basically status on the PGA Tour until his 50th birthday. So he was able to go straight from the main tour. And um, and John Senden's doing the same at the moment. Robert Allenby's. Sort Robert of, Allenby, yeah. Yeah, he's sort of been in between the Corn Ferry Tour and PGA Tour trying to get ready. But and we had Stephen Leaney. He's returned. He's spent a bit of time back home in Australia, but he's now back over there as well. So it's nice. We've got a good half dozen of guys sort of representing us on the Champions Tour each week now, so hopefully we won't have to wait 18 years for the next one.
0: We seem to win. Australia seems to win something every week just at the moment, and, uh, you know, I'm taking a lot of credit for it since I took my role as media manager. We seem to win something, so, you know, maybe there's a pay rise
2: in there for me or something, mate. It'd be well deserved. I think it's getting so much exposure and all of it's due to you, so... (laughs) <laughs> um, But what's great is it feels like every tournament we're turning on at the moment, there's an Aussie in the top five or ten. Correct. So we wake up every morning to check the scores to see how we're going. And, yeah, there's just a real rich rich vein of talented young players coming through and a couple of old guys doing pretty well too. Absolutely. So
0: on the European tour at the weekend, Maverick Ant Clifter is another one of those uh, gifted young players. He finished tied 29th in the Czech Masters. But the big news perhaps – Uh, of the week was lucas herbert finishing tied fourth in the corn ferry tours boise open uh down in idaho and we're going to talk to lucas a little bit later in the show but it uh i was amazed at this it actually qualifies him for his card for the pga tour for next year which has been what he's been chasing all along he's already got enough points from that one event even though there's two more to go
2: to uh, pick up his card which is fabulous news for for lucas Yeah, it's a funny system in a way because we spoke to Brett Druitt last week. who played 42 events to finish 24th in the regular season and get a card, and now we get 25 more chances to to earn a tour card in three events. So just
0: explain how that works. So there's 25 cards for the top 25 players on the tour over a season, which in this case, because of COVID, uh, went across two seasons. So there's 25 cards there, but that's not the only way to get a a US tour card now, is it?
2: No, the top – 75 players from the regular season are then eligible for the Corn Ferry Finals, but they also include players who finished sort of 126 to 200 on the PGA Tour and didn't keep their card. So it's a very, very strong field. Um, Christian Bezidenhut from uh, South Africa, he was in the field as well as, I think, Robert McIntyre. So a lot of top players end up in these Corn Ferry Tour Finals, and even though you think it's a three-event event Um, format, a fourth place finish. There's not enough events left for guys to finish ahead of Lucas um, in the next two. So there's only so many guys that can finish in the top five in the next two weeks. So basically he he, uh, secures the PGA Tour card in one start, which is odd in a sense, but I think the PGA Tour are just getting the best quality players they can on their tour for next year. And at number 49 in the world now, Lucas is certainly one of those. Well, the good news keeps on coming.
0: Tony, we might just get a break out of the way on Inside the Ropes now, and when we come back, uh, we'll chat to the man who's got his card, Lucas Herbert.
1: With Australian Golf
2: Media, you're back Inside the Ropes.
0: Welcome back to Inside the Ropes, and Lucas Herbert's one of our favourites here at Inside the Ropes, been a co-host on one or two occasions, I think, Tony, and... Many times a guest, and it's great to have him all the way from Columbus, Ohio tonight. Hello, Lucas.
3: Hey, boys. How we doing? It's
0: late at night in Columbus, but you've got some celebrating uh, that you've possibly done. I'm not sure. It was interesting yesterday, uh, Herbie, that um, I think there was a text exchange between you and I. And I said, now, is that fourth-place finish in the Boise Open uh, good enough to get your card for the PGA Tour? And you said – sent message back saying I'm not too sure then I looked on the Twitter feed of the corn ferry tour later on and they were saying it was a fate accompli so I'm not exactly sure where that's all at but I'm pretty sure you you've actually got you you have got enough money up from the first event of the corn Ferry finals to secure your card. is that exactly where we're at
3: yeah kind of it's i mean i'm I'm learning as we're going here as well I'm sort of not really sure in the process but yeah, the tour seemed to think that a two-way tie for fifth last week would have been enough to secure uh, a card for the PGA Tour next year, and a and that, as far as like um like FedEx cut points, I'm not sure what the actual not sure what they call the the season long points standing, but it was 210 points towards that, mm-hmm. um, and a three-way tie for fourth was 230 points, I think. So, um. In theory, that should be that should be enough. I I can't see it not being enough. I, I'm I'm pretty sure it's locked up. It's now more of a process of um, of trying to improve that uh, that standings to hopefully get up closer to um, the number one position um, because there there is 25 cards given away here at at the finals. But if you finish in the top five or or if you win um, the I guess the mini order of merit for these last three events. Um, you'll probably get significantly more events than you will if you finish in the last place um, and get the 25th card. So, uh, th- yes, I have a PGA Tour card next year, but it's um, it'll probably it, – it, there's still a little bit more work to do to make sure that we sort of um, hopefully get into a few more events than what we would currently get into if I hung the boots up for the next two weeks.
0: So just to confirm that for our listeners, the Corn Ferry Tour finals are three events – and uh, there are 25 cards that come through from that. The top 25 players in those three events uh, will get their card for next year, but as Lucas just has pointed out, there's cards and there's cards. I did see a little fist pump when you made, I think, a birdie at the last hole in Boise or Boise last weekend. You hit a great shot in there and knocked the putt in, there was a little little bit of celebration there because, you know, to be fair, it, it's been a dream of yours for a while, hasn't it? A long time, really.
1: Yeah, I
3: think everyone's dream as a golfer is probably get to the PGA Tour when you've played from a young age like we all have. And, um, you know, obviously obviously, um, you know, it's it's just the highest level of golf that we can play and it's against the best players in the world and, you know, some of the best venues in the world. And it's just, you know, it's where I've dreamed of playing forever and it. you know, a lot of times it's felt like it's, you know, it's just been so far out of reach and it's, and so far away, you know, in the, in the times where you're not playing your best golf or, um, you know, just going through some struggles. So yeah, it was sort of, you know, all of a sudden you've got like an eight foot putt on the, on the 18th green and there's pretty much a PJ tour card sitting right in the middle of that putt, going like, I'm all yours if it goes in. So um, to hit a, hit a good part and for it, uh, to lip in as well probably I didn't really think it was going to go in until it it dived at the end and and caught the edge it was uh it just yeah it felt like i mean even if we even if that wasn't enough to get at that stage we didn't know but if, even if that wasn't enough to get my pJ to a card at that event it, it felt like I'd kind of I'd gone and done everything i I could have done at that event um in terms of play the best golf i could and and prepare and and execute as well as I possibly could have um. It was a very satisfying result, by the way.
0: So you mentioned your struggles. I mean, I'm going to say, eighteen months ago, you were back here in Australia and not sure whether you wanted to play golf. Which you know, it's a it's a hell of a long way to a tour card from that point.
3: Yeah, I I think that 2019 season is pretty well documented with um, with how much I just wasn't enjoying the game. And I mean, it was quite interesting. There's a there's a lot of other guys that played out on tour. Uh, and came to me at the like Australians as well that came to me at the end of that year and and said uh, I actually really um it, w- it was really nice that you spoke out and said what you did because I was feeling the exact same thing and I you know was having the same sort of struggles and I just don't think it's a it's a really difficult a lot of it's a very difficult uh, subject to kind of discuss because uh, I, I mean especially at the time like right now uh, we're back in Australia everyone's well, pretty much everyone's confined to about their front garden, and that's it as far as leaving their house and, you know, the amount of restrictions on it are ridiculous. And uh, if anyone's out here playing golf on tour and traveling the world and, and doing whatever and not enjoying it, we almost feel like uh, no one really gives us a right to to feel like we don't enjoy it. And especially back then too, um, you know, to anyone who played golf, uh, it was what we did was a dream job there's you know you couldn't have picked a better job um get to travel the world and play golf everyone sort of looks at that and goes oh well, that's that's a dream job we've got to go and sit in an office nine to five but um and it just it's very difficult to to get any sympathy really from anyone when you you know when you do stick your head up and go oh, i don't like this i'm not i'm not enjoying it i'll you know i'm having some difficulties so yeah there was a few players that uh that came to me and said that you know they resonated a lot with what I um, had said. And and to be fair, Beef Johnson um, had said a, a lot as well that was very similar to the way I felt too. So uh, it's, it's been really nice start a little culture of, you know, people feeling like they can put their hand up and say they're struggling. And, and you know, uh, everyone around this kind of golfing community is giving, giving each other help with, like, how to deal with it the best as well. So, yeah, that's been quite good. So then for for that to come full circle and, you know, to, to sit where we do now. And there's been so many little stepping stones along the way too, whether it be winning events or, um, you know, playing in majors or just, you know, just feeling like you'd accomplished a lot in, in 12, 12 months, 18 months, um, six months, even like, uh, yeah, it, the further I get away from that 2019 season, the more I understand about it and, you know, the probably the happier I am um, to not be still in that same frame of mind mentally.
2: The decision to base yourself in the states this year—did you? How much discussion with the team went around that, and how much was influenced by COVID and, the, I guess, the travel restrictions through Europe? And how comfortable were were you with that decision and and approaching, I guess, a split season in that way?
3: Uh, I would say it was entirely out of um, the issues that COVID presented. Uh, I flew back. October last year and did the quarantine process coming back into Australia and um, it's obviously not very enjoyable um, as I'm sure anyone can imagine. And the thing that I probably found tricky with it as well was that I didn't feel like I could be very productive in those two weeks. Um, You know, like I've had Dom, my coach, and and Jamie, my mental coach, both fly over and, and go back to Australia and do the quarantine as well. But they've been able to still do some work Whilst they're in the quarantine process, they can do it over the um, over the internet, and you know they can. Dom does online online coaching. Jamie does Skype sessions or, or FaceTime sessions with people. And I feel like if you could do that, you would actually feel like you you know you're being productive in your two weeks. Whereas for me, I you know there's not much as a golf pro that you can really do uh, when you're stuck in a hotel room for two weeks straight. So um, it was yeah, it was definitely it was born out of. You know, I, I, if I was going to go back to Australia three times this year, that's you know that's six weeks out of my year where I'm just completely unproductive and can and don't get anything done. And that just I, I just didn't think that was the right way to do it. So yeah, we started looking into um, obviously setting up a base over here more full time, and and to travel to Europe to play Europe is is not incredibly difficult either. Uh, obviously, travel restrictions in and out of the US are, are pretty chill, and um. It's just probably jet lag. It's probably a little different going back to Europe from Florida, but it's, I mean, it's as easy as coming from Australia. So I thought I would struggle a lot more with it. I I was definitely someone who who enjoyed being home and and liked, you know, being around my friends and family and kind of just like unpacking your suitcase and and not feeling like you're living out of it um, all the time. I was always probably someone who was like 10 weeks away was. was about the time where i started going crazy and went right get me home right now um but i've i think i've been out here seven months now and i haven't felt like the urgency to go home has really um been there i i'm quite i'm really enjoying my life over here in america obviously it's it's pretty tough when you look at everything that's going on back home with all the restrictions and and you know you, you don't hear a lot of good media stories coming out of australia right now so it's it's probably easier to enjoy things over here um, a lot more, but it's um, it's been, a, I think, I'm getting my own place and, you know, sort of setting up an actual home versus just a, maybe an Airbnb for a week or two is, has been a lot different and a lot more beneficial to me.
2: I spoke to Dom earlier in the year after, the, I think, the Workday Championship, and he said you were struggling, I guess, committing to the playing big boy golf course, as he called it and what you needed to do to commit to the shots in those moments. And and I was interested to hear you say yesterday that you now feel like you're ready for the PGA Tour, whereas you might not have been 12 months ago. What's that process this year been like of playing half a dozen PGA Tour events, a couple of WGCs and majors? How far advanced do you think you are now compared to where you were maybe in February?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, physically, I can still... I That Workday Championship, it's funny because I, I think I literally finished dead last, and I could have hit you any shot you wanted me to hit on that range. Uh, my technically, I could hit, I could do, I could do whatever I wanted to do. Really, I was, I was in a great place. Uh, I just mentally couldn't, um, couldn't deal with. You know, that golf course was. There was no way you could miss it. You had to hit the shot, um, and I, I just not really. I really wasn't ready for that mentally. I think playing in Europe, um, and don't get me wrong, Europe is a is a great place to play golf, but the courses don't test you that that way. I I often look at the golf courses we play and and if there's water down the right hand side, there's very rarely anything out to the left. So you feel like I feel like a lot of the time in Europe I can kind of play golf where you take one side of the golf course out of play and you're really not going to make a lot of bogeys and you're probably not going to miss a lot of cuts by hitting um, you know, hitting a really a, a decent golf shot into a you know into a penalizing situation, you, you can sort of tactically take a lot of it out of play. Whereas you get to the US and it you know half the round of golf is out of bounds down the left and water down the right, and you've got to stand there and slot it straight down the middle of that fairway. And I just probably yeah, it wasn't I wasn't there mentally, and I, I made a lot of big jumps uh, mentally after that event and. Felt like I, I was, then it was like a, a struggle physically. I couldn't really get my body in the right shape to be able to play. I felt like I was ready to kind of go and, and play a month or two earlier than when I won in, in Europe and, and was playing well in the US. I, I felt like mentally I was there ready to go. I just couldn't get my body to do what I wanted to do. And then my new uh, my new trainer, Luke, has come on and he's been able to get me physically where I need to. And obviously the work I've been doing with Jamie has got me mentally where I need to be. And that's pretty much why I've had the results I've had um, since I think Memorial was kind of where everything clicked and everything fell into place for me. And I felt like I was able to play these big boy golf courses and, um, you know, could step up to the challenge and, and felt like I was, I was there uh, not making up the numbers.
2: i ask quickly, you've moved back into the top 50 now in the world after you finished at the Corn Ferry. When you're talking about getting your PGA tour card and and improving that status so you get more starts, where does the top fifty eligibility or does that help at all like for next year? Will you can you advance your position in the field and get those invitationals perhaps by your world ranking?
3: Yeah, there's probably gonna be there's probably 10 to 15 events per year that are going to have some sort of category for the top fifty players in the world. Generally, it's at the time of the event. So, if I was to stay in the top fifty in the world for the next twelve to eighteen months, I'd obviously get a lot more events than um, than I would if I if I didn't stay in there. Uh, you know, there's a few exceptions. I think uh, I think for the Masters at Augusta, you if you're in the top fifty at Christmas time, you'll get an invitation to play, and um, there might be a couple of other events as well where it's like that. But generally, you know, if if you're in the top 50 in the world at the time of the event, you're probably going to be, um, get in, or you'll get looked favorably, get looked at favorably for an invite, or, or those kind of things. So, um, it's it's going to be helpful, but I understand too that it's probably. It, it, I I would love to stay in the top 50 in the world for the next 15 years, but realistically, it may not happen that way, and um, it, it's tricky. If I'm going to play corn Ferry tour events, it's it's very tricky to hold your ranking up there because the field is such good quality but the rankings don't kind of show it so you know you can finish 15th and play quite nicely and you know the world ranking doesn't look at you too favorably for that kind of finish so um yeah honestly it's just this massive puzzle of what events do you play when do you play them um what do you get into it's it's a huge puzzle that i haven't figured out i don't think anyone's figured it out you you're speaking to guys that are out here on tour for 15 years trying to work out off them because they're the ones that tend to know, uh, you know, this finish in this event gets you into this event and it, it's just, it's brutal. I don't know how anyone at home tries to keep up with it, to be honest.
0: Lucas, it's 10 o'clock at night in Columbus uh, and you're sitting in a hotel room probably on your own. Um, tell us your travel story from today. You, you, you were quite, uh, so- sounds like you had, had a bit of an adventure.
3: Yeah, so this might be one of the funniest travel stories i've ever had um and if anyone feels like they're having a crap day at work or they've mucked something up for the boss and feel like an idiot i promise you this will make you feel a lot better so we're obviously flying we're playing playing boise idaho last week which is uh on the west coast it's quite close to um like oregon and probably just that's just north of Nevada, Um, flying to Columbus, Ohio, which is Midwest. It's probably, it's like in between Chicago and New York. So there's no direct flights. We've got to fly through Dallas. Um, I've got my trainer Luke with me and then um, Nick, my caddy. I booked myself and Luke's flights and then gave them to Nick uh, and said, this is the the flights we're on. Um, You know, if you want to fly with us, go for it. But if you don't, I don't care. Um, so we all fly in here, we grab our bags, we go to the rental car desk to get our car. And she, uh, the girl asks my, um, my ID and credit card and stuff. So I give that over and she goes, Oh, we haven't got a booking here for you. Do you have a, a confirmation number? Said, yeah. I pull it up. And I'm like, this is weird. I've, I've got on the, a- like, I'm with Avis. I'm on the app and I'm like, I'm, my car says it's here in this spot. Like, how is it? Something's not matching up here. I'm thinking like a lot of time in America, there's two airports that are um, at a city, you know, imagine like uh, Melbourne Avalon, Airport, Melbourne Tullamarine, that, you know, that kind of thing. Um, So I'm like, am I at the wrong airport? Like we're going to have to Uber to the other airport to pick up the car or, you know, what's going on here? And I look on my Google maps and not only am I at the wrong airport, I'm at the wrong city. We've booked flights to Columbus, Georgia.
0: Oh, no. Columbus, Ohio, please.
3: Got through the entire process of checking in, boarding passes on the plane, gone through everything, and not till we've gotten to the airport and looked at our location on Google Maps that we've gone. We're in the wrong state. We're not even close. We're, it's a 10-hour drive. We've now got a flight. So you actually morning. flew
0: before you realized this?
3: No, we, yeah, we landed at the airport. We got our bag oh. everything. Before we even realised where we were, so we've now got to fly at 3 a.m. tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah, we, so we turn out and we get in an Uber to go to this hotel for the night, which is potentially the worst hotel I've ever been in as well. Um, and we we speak to the Uber driver and go, what a, what's uh, what's Columbus, Georgia known for? He's like, honestly, man, it's a military town. There's nothing going on here. You're either homeless or some way uh, <laughs> helping out the military. So that just <laughs> we've just had oh, a wow. day. It's um, yeah. I I mean, at first we were like, should we tell no one about this? And then I was like, no, nah, this is one of the best stories ever.
0: This will so, go in um, your book.
3: <laughs> Maybe <This, laughs> one
0: day it will go in your book. So, what time are you we leaving sat- tomorrow? You've got to go um, early tomorrow and back on another
3: this, flight. So, so I'm talking our Uber driver into uh, picking us up in the morning, which is at uh, about four forty-five a.m. to get a six thirty flight to get to Columbus, Ohio at uh, at nine forty-five a.m. I think it is. So. Um if we hadn't have made that part on the last on Sunday we all would have been a lot angrier than we are now but your head
0: your head would be off at this point yeah
3: yeah we are uh, we we probably sat there for 15 minutes just all laughing at each other like how stupid are we all
0: so you walk I, I, into the off the tarmac into the airport who who actually realized that you're in the wrong state
3: we kind of all had when we looked back on it we all had little realization moments of like this is weird, but no one kind of put two and two together. Like uh, Nick said that he looked at the flight on the on the, on the monitor at the gate and it said Columbus GA and he's like, that's not right. And then looked at the ticket and goes, oh, no, the flight number matches up. We're going to the right spot. Um, we got on the plane and there was not a lot of people on there and the plane wasn't big either and sort of thought that's – like that's like it's just odd. I thought this would like I thought a Dallas to Columbus flight would be kind of popular. Um, and then the I like I bought the Wi-Fi in like the in-flight Wi-Fi, and it was like you've got an hour and twenty to your destination, and it's a it's a three and a half hour flight. But I just assumed that somehow uh, time and space had changed for me today, and it was my lucky day. <laughs> we walked into the airport, and then we were like, "This is not the airport. We fl- like this is not the terminal we flew into last time." But we in a different terminal, or like there was just. It was a lot of different, a lot of moments we look back on and went, oh, yeah, that probably makes more sense. Uh, But, yeah, no, we were really, yeah, having a good day and not (laughs) not cluing on to most of it.
2: Mate, before we let you go, I wanted to ask as well, obviously you won the Irish Open, you are exempt into Europe for two years. The PGA Tour are going to have co-sanctioned events, I think with Scotland and maybe a couple of others. Next year, you talk about the schedule puzzle. How does Europe fit into that in the next couple of years? In your mind,
3: uh, mate, I don't even know how the next four weeks fit in as a schedule wise. So, uh, I'm sure we'll do some planning down the road. Obviously, Europe's a great, um, a great avenue for me to play in with the world ranking points that are obviously on offer, and um, the money at the Rolex Series events, as well as like if you can finish higher up, uh, high up that race to Dubai. Um, final as well you can get into WGCs and majors from um from those finishes too so there is still benefits to playing Europe and um I'll try and fit it in the schedule I I guess where it's uh where it fits and, and where it makes sense to play obviously we can get a couple of these um Australian events back and going when COVID seems to calm down a little bit and we can actually get back in the country it would be great to play um our big events back home too so yeah, it's just it'll. It's just a massive jigsaw puzzle that's um, been made harder in the last couple of days, which is always a good problem to have. But, yeah, we'll kind of see where the chips fall after the next couple of weeks and, and figure it out, um, what the best plan of attack is.
0: That's not a cockroach going up the wall behind you. I'm looking at you on Zoom. That's not a cockroach, is it, going up there in that hotel? Talk be. us through the hotel. That
3: might be one of the nicer things in here, actually. <laughs> it might be dinner.
2: is the clean.
0: <laughs> uh, Lucas Herbert, it's uh, awesome to talk to you and uh, we're absolutely wrapped for you that uh, we know that, I must admit when you when you first said that you're going to, going to Europe and you didn't have any playing rights uh, sorry, you're going to the States uh, and you didn't have the playing rights I thought, oh gee, that's, that's kind of speculative but it's come through for you beautifully and you've still got a couple of events to pick up that ranking in the 25 and um, then beyond that it's just, the sky's the limit really Thanks Blakey Um, Well done, mate, and uh, talk to you again soon.
3: Always nice being on. Thanks, boys.
0: Thanks, mate.
2: With Australian Golf Media, you're back inside the ropes.
0: Welcome back to Inside the Ropes, and Christian Hamilton is going to join us. Christian's the National Inclusions Manager for Golf Australia. Of course, it's today, as we record, it's the first day of the Paralympics, which, Tony, is a fantastic event, a lot of inspirational stories. Unfortunately, golf's not part of it, but there are some moves uh, down the track to get that to happen, and Christian's going to let us know about that. Hello,
1: Hemo. Hey, Blakey. How are you going? Tony?
0: Very good. Christian? Christian, uh, we don't want to uh, kind of rain on the parade of the Paralympics at all, do we? Because no, golf's not there. Um, we'd love it to be there. Um, but give us the history lesson on that, because you had a crack at this uh for tokyo didn't you a few years ago and got got rejected and you you've now moved on to the next phase which is uh trying to put the put the ducks in a row so that you can get in maybe for 2028
1: yeah that's right yeah so the igf the international golf federation um they're the recognized body obviously of the uh the international olympic committee and also the um, international paralympic committee so yeah unfortunately we did have a uh, we had a bid for Paris in 24, which uh, we fell just short of the last hurdle unfortunately. Um, but uh, but in hindsight, you know looking back, um, there was a lot of work that still needed to be done. Um, we probably went in um, a little bit underprepared. Um, and since then it's really created a bit of a sense of urgency to get all the things that we need to do for a successful application going forward. Um, yeah as you said, like it's about getting our ducks in the row in a row and um, making sure that we put our best foot forward for the for twenty-eight.
0: What was the feedback from getting rejected last time? I, I think from memory, you told me once that you know you needed proper world championships, world rankings, things like, like that. Uh, whereas the uh, kind of the all ability space, as I understand it, was a lot of different organisations who were you know doing fantastic work in their own right, but it was a little bit fragmented previously. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, um, we needed to first of all show that we have a minimum of 28 countries um, that were sort of connected, which we could do, but um, other things were really in their infancy. Like the, you mentioned there, the world rankings for golfers with disability. Um, we only had a, a, a few national federations actually running events that actually contributed to the rankings. Um, but you know fast forward now we've got now 35 countries um you know golf australia as an example we run 12 events uh throughout the year um some of those uh yeah some of those events as 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 an example our include state inclusive championships uh, when we put the original application in we were only um we were only running an, a victorian event now we've got you know, Queensland, Golf New South Wales are running an inclusive event. We've got Golf WA and yeah, South Australia and Tasmania on board as well. So, um, yeah, just each federation needs to just do their part in, in, in running more events. We've got some great commitments now through the IGF for a World Championship for Golfers with Disability, uh, which has been signed off. Um, uh, the USGA have come on board. They, they're a big missing link for us in our application um, and we got a commitment there from the from the incoming president of the um, of the USGA um, last year to say that they would run um, a US uh, Open uh, for golfers with disabilities. So it feels like everything's yeah, everything's coming to, coming into place.
0: So is the bid being prepared now, or, or does that happen later? And when would you know? Who do you have to apply to to get in?
1: Yeah, so we'll, we'll wait um, until we get. Uh, yeah, basically that'll come through the IPC. We'd probably say over the next year or so. Um, so, yeah, it's a case of, uh, yeah, there's a, it's a bit of a three-step process, uh, first around compliance as a sport, um, and then we have to yeah, pull the bid together over the, 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 the coming couple of years.
2: What's the missing piece of the puzzle for you, Christian? What's the one thing you have to get right to clear that last hurdle for the next bid?
1: Yeah, I would say classification and eligibility is really important and and the 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 research that sits behind the definitions and classifications really critical um uh that like for instance the last application we put through was just for amputees only you know for obvious reasons it's really easy to classify an amputee um but uh But if you look at other sports and you know swimming, and you look at athletics, and you look at the multiple sort of impairment groups that participate in the Paralympic Games, that was probably a real weakness. But um, having the research component behind it's really important. We've got the um, the Shirley Ryan Institute in Chicago doing all that work for us um, around the definitions and and making sure there's a robust research behind um, all the classification. Um, And then for vision impairment, we have a university over in the UK doing that research piece led through, um, uh, yeah, that's it, going on at the moment. We've got a, a Delphi study going on at the moment worldwide, which we're, um, we're working with um, yeah, various blind golf groups around the world that are contributing to that piece of work as well.
2: Now, golf isn't in the Paralympics, but it is represented in the Special Olympics, um, which I believe is in Germany in two years' time and which we've sent representatives in the past. Yep. Would those athletes be Paralympians, or does the Special Olympics kind of operate independently? How, what how does the differentiation work?
1: Yeah, I think people get the two confused regularly because of you know obviously with the Olympics uh, connotation in their name. But um, yeah, so Special Olympics is an organisation that uh, just for people with intellectual disabilities or autism spectrum disorder, uh, where the Paralympics we know you know obviously goes into physical and sensory. Um, impairments as well um yeah but uh they have fantastic dual pathways for people with special olympics um you know some of our australians that have participated in events in macau or um, united arab emirates where they had the last world championships or germany There's um, yeah, so some great opportunities that through that pathway as well
0: Christian, there's been some amazing work done by yourself and others in this space over the last few years. Uh, you know, the stories are sensational. I'll never forget, I think it was 2018 when we had the All Abilities National Championship at the Australian Open in Sydney and, uh, you know, the people were just amazed. You know, uh, I think uh, Rod Mori, our producer, said before people were lining up you know, players from the Australian Open field were lining up to watch one Postiga and some of these others hit the ball. You know, one Postiga throwing his prosthetic leg off and then you know smashing it 250 meters down the yeah. down the fairway. What, what would it mean for the space um, if you could get into the Paralympics? Can you, do you, it would be? I presume it would be really exposing these sports and these people to to the broader audience, which would be you yeah. know priceless.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. It's when we got announced for Brisbane for thirty-two. Um, you know, I saw some commentary around. You know, it gives kids the license to sort of dream of being an, a, an Olympian in their own country. But you know, I think we have an enormous opportunity to to give that dream to kids with disability around the country as well. It's it's something that's you know that we should do, um, but also. You know, celebrate the fact that as a sport, we can play together. Like, we're one of the very few sports that, you know, we're not segregated like some of the Paralympic sports. And that really fits with that Paralympic values and the Paralympic movement around inclusive communities that they talk about. So, um, you know, that's a massive strength for us um, going forward.
2: A big part of this, too, Christian, is, I guess, the accreditation of PGA professionals um, into the all ability space. And I know you've implemented that program and, we've got more and more PGA pros who are All Abilities accredited. Have you seen the numbers of All Abilities players increase, you know, especially since that Australian Open exposure? Have you seen a groundswell already, even in Australia?
1: Yeah, definitely. And Tony, um, just that with the PGA All Abilities accreditation, we've now got over 170 coaches around the country that are that are accredited. And the reason for that, we want to make sure that people with disability have fantastic experiences. So that accreditation um, looks at not only inclusive coaching sort of principles, but also we, we focus heavily on what an inclusive facility looks like, um, modified equipment and adaptive technology, those sort of things, just so that you know, we feel the PGA member is that expert, that first contact point for people with disability to get into the game. Um, And, yeah, certainly from an events perspective, like everything that we've pretty much done since the AAAC has doubled as far as participation in ranking events. Um, You know, we now have over 100 athletes on the world rankings. As as an example, you know, we started four years ago with, you know, Jeff, Nicholas, Shane, Luke, um, and and that was pretty much it. Um, So, yeah, but from a development program perspective as well, it's been really encouraging to see the numbers coming through with, uh, say, getting to golf all abilities in particular, um, and especially the, the the amount of women uh, with disability that are coming through.
2: I've been lucky enough over the years. I've attended the amputee championships, and I've got to know young Cameron Pollard um, a little bit the last few years. It's an incredible opportunity to see people who've been through setbacks or or dealing with, you know, their own mental health issues or, or battles what golf can do for them like Cameron's Cameron finds day-to-day living difficult Mm. but he is completely at home on the golf course down there at Sawtell Brendan Barnes does a great job um it must be uplifting to you it's a lot of hard work to get all this in place but when those men and women turn up boys and girls to championships and to compete it must be a great great experience for you to to see that
1: yeah oh absolutely and it's the things that people don't see. I think Cameron's a really good example, but Katie's mum, I'll never forget, you know, walking holes with her um, in the Aussie Open and, and just, you know, shared a backpack and, you know, with some of Cam's medication, for example, if he had a panic attack and, you know, these sort of things. It's just, you know, to see him grow. Um, I remember the last round of the Australian Open, he's birdied 17 and, and 18 at the at the lakes of the par three and, you know, packed grandstands either side to, slot four iron in there to about 15 feet and hole it across the slope. You know, that's I even that makes me nervous thinking about, you know, pulling something like that off, let alone, you know, with, as you said, some of the things that Cam has to deal with. It's really impressive.
0: Christian, uh, where do people go if they uh, if they're interested in the, this kind of stuff? If you know, maybe they have a disability themselves, or a parent you know that has a child with a disability. Where where do they go? I think it's www.golf.org.au all ab- backslash all yep. abilities as a starting
1: yep. point. That's right. Yeah, and we've got all the information there from um, pathways, how to get involved, um, the tournaments that we run. Um, organizations they can connect with as well so it's not just golf australia events but also there's impairment specific events like special olympics blind golf australia um, amputee golf australia etc that um, that are great communities as well that people can get involved with
0: and i wanted to mention brendan borger who if an, another uh item on the golf.org.au, if you go there and or, or even just Google Brendan Borger B-O-R-G-E-R, there's a video there on the Golf Australia website uh, that was done out of Brisbane a few weeks ago and it's absolutely fantastic, isn't it? You had much feedback to that?
1: Yeah, it's great. I think I think at the moment we've got the uh European Championship for golfers with disabilities. So it hasn't really got a great run over in um in the UK yet, but uh but yeah, I think golf. Tell us a th- little
0: bit of his story before you go any further. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So uh, Brendan originally was um, was a special Olympic swimmer and competed internationally um, in swimming with Special O. Um, you know, ten years ago. But since meeting um, Lee Harrington, one of our all abilities coaches in on the Gold Coast, um, really, yeah, fell in love with the game, and um, you know, he's uh, he's got some great aspirations of getting inside. Uh, you know, getting his handicap down into seventeen or the mid-teens to start playing some world ranking events in that stroke and neck category—it's
0: fantastic. As you said, Tony, the the uh, the amount that people, these people, get out of it, it's just—it's extremely uh, rewarding when you when you see it. And Christian, you see it all the time.
1: Yeah, that's right. And oh, sorry, go Tony. I was yeah. going
2: to say, even just to Cameron's—you know, like Cameron was sort of looking at a life that was difficult to live outside of his own home, even outside of his own bedroom. But now he started washing carts at Sawtell. You know, he plays off a couple or three handicap these days, I think, and shoots par regularly. Um, He works at the – and what's interesting is you can – you know, we talk about disability golf, but Cameron working in the pro shop can spot a member's car from the car park, knows the number plate, and knows the member coming into the club before the other guys even have even noticed. So they can add a lot to a golf facility as well as what the golf facility
1: uh, provides for them. Uh, well said, 100%. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, Christian, uh, it's always great to talk to you. You're doing fantastic work, and uh, we'll watch the Paralympics with interest, and we we really hope that over the next year or two, uh, golf can find its way in there as well to join that party.
1: Fingers crossed. Yep. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks Christian. Christian. With Australian Golf Media, you're back inside
2: the ropes.
0: Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. And this month is the last month we have to submit an entry for the Visionary of the Year competition, which is a, a monthly prize with a annual uh, prize at the end of it, Tony, for the Vision 2025 Women and Girls Uh, promotion program. So Visionary of the Year recognizes people and clubs who champion women and girls in golf. The entries close September 15 at 5 p.m. The monthly winners get $500 drum and golf voucher, and we've spoken to a few of those on the program this year. The nine monthly winners are in the running to win the Callaway Grand Prize worth up to $10,000, so ten ten grand worth of Callaway gear, which is nice. Uh, Just a couple of other... Bits and pieces, Tony. While we wrap up the show, um, how many
2: holes in one have you had? I've had one. Where was yeah, that? One. Lucky enough to have one at East Lake Golf Club in Sydney. I think the thirteenth oh. hole. Didn't I'll see it go there. in.
0: Uh ah, well. A guy called Chris McCartney, and this article was written by David Tees from Golf New South Wales. Credit to, to Teasey for, for picking this up, but Chris McCartney plays at Blackheath Golf Club, which I believe you might know. Tony it's out in the Blue Mountains somewhere. Um Yeah, I've played Blackheath. Yeah. To, oh, you've played there? Yeah. Two yeah, in one day. Pull two incredible. Two, two holes in one one day. I don't know what the odds of, of that it's like a hundred and fifty six million to one or something they calculated. So he gets an eight iron and his bag out on the second hole of the day knocks it in, and then uh they they pick it out of the hole and then they go, go further on down the track. I'm trying to think seven iron at the thirteenth hole he knocks it in so <laughs>
2: that, I just that what is, everyone who followed him thought when they got to the nearest the pin uh little marker gonna, that it's going to put be a name down. It's going to be very hard to win the nearest
0: pin competition at Blackheath Golf Club if they're going to keep doing that. Uh, anything,
2: uh, anything on your radar at the moment? Anything? We've well, got the Legends back playing up here in Queensland at the moment. We've able to put some. We had about a better month off, um, the Sparms Legends tour is back up and running up here. So if you're out, I know they're playing at Winnemond on as we uh, as we film. Uh, Take this and then um, they're heading up north to Cairns and Townsville. So if you're up that way and want to see some of the greats, Andre Stoltz had his fifth win in nine starts. Peter Senior's playing. There's some great names there. So if you want to get out and watch some golf. Just, uh, just
0: of Just wanted to mention uh, some of the tournaments for the, for this summer. There's been a few people asking me, and, you know, probably you as well, Tony. Um, what's happening with the big tournaments in Australia this summer? The answer to that is I, I don't I don't have a definitive answer, but I, I believe there's going to be some decisions made in the very near future. Jimmy Emanuel on uh, the Golf Australia magazine website uh, wrote a piece last week saying that. The Australian, which is due to host the Australian Men's Australian Open at the end of November, has uh, put put a kind of a deadline on. They they need a decision, I think, by the end of this month. So we're only you know a week or so away. So that and that's fair enough too on the on the club's part. They need to to know what's happening just with COVID and uh, you know quarantine restrictions. I've just come out of quarantine myself. I mean. Uh, I don't know too many golfers. Uh, we heard Lucas Herbert speak about this earlier. Like I don't know too many pro golfers who are going to go through quarantine. So as long as the federal government of Australia has two weeks quarantine for everyone who comes in the country, um, it's going to be tough. I- I'm not sure what's going to happen. The Australian PGA has got the same issue. I-, I don't know whether you've heard anything there, but uh, my understanding is we're going to get some decisions on this pretty soon. I think,
2: yeah, the unlikeliness... Of us hosting our two major titles, I think's growing by the day. But I think there'll be some exciting announcements soon in terms of some of the perhaps lower tier events that will give our guys and guys and girls and guys and girls in Australia some tournaments to play in over summer. So I think we will we'll get a summer of golf of some description. We just uh, we just might be shy our our, our big draw cards again, and, and especially our, our major players, but. Um, fingers crossed we can get a few more tournaments off the ground and we'll have, uh, yeah, we'll have some events happening around the country. Might just look a little different.
0: Well, Tony, uh, just a reminder, everyone, if you enjoyed the podcast today, make sure you subscribe through the usual channels and better still, write a nice review for us. Or most of all, tune in again next week because we'll be back with Inside the Ropes.